Well, good morning, Harvest. Good morning. If you're joining us online, let us know that you're there. Welcome. And, uh, we're to grateful that Grace, you're with us today. The podcast of we Harvest are in Bible Chapel chapter in four. Cambridge, Ohio. We are in a series called New Life in Our Families. New Life in Our Families. This whole month and the beginning of next month, we're looking at this idea of new life. New life. Today's message is titled New Life in a New Communication, taken from the text that we're going to look at today. Last week, we looked at new life, new outlook. New life, new outlook. That we were dead in our sins. Now, I got I to tell you something, folks. Um, last week, I tried something totally different. My friend John from uh, Gallup Police has been challenging me on something. And I usually, um, I usually manuscript everything I'm going to say to you. Right? And, I, and I try to memorize it, and, but I still have it right there. And he's been challenging me to get off of the manuscript and get onto just an outline. And, and so last week, like this week, uh, normally I have like seven or eight pages. And I know I'm, I'm at the right time at seven or eight pages, double-spaced, you know, 12 font. Last week I went with an outline only. And, um, and I forgot something. It, it wasn't theologically, like, Wow, you would have been like, oh, you should have put that in there. It was just an illustration. I said last week that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Actually, the Word of God said that, but I was just agreeing with that. And we needed a new outlook. Because as being dead, we had no way to respond. Now, one of the things that came to mind was this horrible incident that happened in our family when I was a youth pastor. I was actually serving as like a, uh, interim pastor for our church because our pastor had been had had been dismissed and I was uh, stepping up in this role for six months and during that time well many of you know that there is a dog at, at our house that I'm pretty fond of and he's pretty fond of me and and he's a he's a wiener dog you know he's a dachshund but he's not our first our first was named Oscar go ahead you know Oscar Meyer wiener dog and uh, it was our kids' names, and um, I, was, I was at church, uh, Jamie was at home, the dog got out, and Oscar was no longer with us because he got hit by a car. And so my wife called me, and called. we didn't have cell phones back then, she called the church, and the church got a hold, you need to call your wife right away. So I went and called my wife, and she was frantic, and we had to tell the girls on the way home. But when I got there, I mean, Oscar was dead. Oscar was dead, dead. And no matter what I did, like, if I called out his name, he didn't move. If I poked him, he didn't move. And I buried Oscar in the back of the yard. And some of us were like that, dead, in our trespasses and in our sins. And no matter how much our friends told us about Jesus, no matter how much our grandmothers prayed for us, we didn't hear it. We didn't hear it until we heard the sweet word of Jesus that says, come to life. And, and Paul is saying, you folks were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God has made you alive in Jesus Christ. We needed a miracle. It made me think of that passage in, in John 11. Remember that, that text in John 11 where, where Jesus is saying, let's go visit Mary and Martha, because Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And he, of course, Lazarus does die. And 
This is the passage where Jesus wept. And this is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will, not, will never die. Do you believe that, Martha? Yes, I believe that. But there's something interesting that happens when Jesus calls Lazarus in chapter 11, verse 43. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And then he looks at the people and he says, get those grave clothes off him. He says, loose him. He, he, he's not dead anymore. And our new outlook allows us, by the grace of Jesus, to trash those old rags that we've been holding on to, those grave clothes that bind us, our old life. And so that's why we, 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 if we want to have an, a, a, an infectious way of changing our family, we, it begins with us. Do I have the new outlook? Am I a follower of Jesus? Have I removed those dirty rags that I thought were what was saving me? And, and have I come to Jesus Christ? Warren Wiersbe calls them grave clothes, and that just resonated with me all week. I came by the grace of Jesus Christ, who was my propitiation for sin. He was my substitutionary atonement. Jesus in my place. Well, that was last week. New life in our families, new life, new outlook. This week, it's new communication, new communication. So I was thinking about communication, how it's changed in the, uh, it's Valentine's Day, right? And so, like, Facebook and all your things have been buzzing with this Valentine's Day challenge. But by the way, uh, sorry, we were the hottest couple on there. I'm just saying. Uh, right, babe? Knuckles, that's right. Uh, a lot's happened in 33 years, though, to say that, including communication. Communication has changed so, so much, uh, just to the fact that I, you know, I have a walking computer in my pocket now, and I can get a hold of you all pretty much at the, the drop of a hat. A Christian's communication has changed now that he's a follower of Jesus, and it's become very purposeful. Say that word with me. It kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Purposeful. Say it. Uh, say it like, like with some purpose. Purposeful. Yeah. Uh, that's how your life is to be now, and that is how your communication is to be. A Christian's walk is to be is purposeful with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's purposeful in our attitude. It's purposeful in our actions, in our deeds, and in our words. Our walk is to resemble our awakening, right? We are, next week, Pastor Jerry is going to talk about that verse in Ephesians that says, awake up, O sleeper, you have awoken from the grave and your everything is to change, including your walk. Paul switches from instruction, theology, now to application. Chapter four, he's drawing a clear distinction between dead people and alive people, between those that have purpose and those that are still in grave clothes. And specifically, one area uh, of our life has become our number one enemy as a believer. And it's our mouth. How many here would say, man, uh, there's a few things I wish that I could take back that I said, right? So it's going to take us a little bit to get there. But we're going to begin with verse 17. And it says this. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Now underline that word walk there, it's kind of important. Uh, The Christian life is called a walk. It's ongoing and progressively forward. It's, 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 if we could... A term just to say your life is now something beyond just being sedimentary. You are to be walking. He says, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. In the futility of their mind. Futile means empty. Fails to produce the desired result. He's saying the difference between you and And a Gentile, someone who is not a follower of Jesus, is that their mind is empty and your mind is being filled up with the word of God, who God is and how he wants you to live your life. But he goes on to say, this is a little bit more about the reasons we trash these grave clothes. He says, they, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You ever have somebody call you ignorant? Like, I mean, here Paul's calling a whole group of people ignorant because they don't know the Lord. Due to the hardness of heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, just on that statement right there in verse 19, he's saying these people are not only dark, they're not only ignorant, but They're very sensual, and they practice all kinds of sensuality publicly. Publicly. It's the worst sense here. Like, nothing is off limits to them, and everything is out in the open so everyone can see it. And then he makes a statement in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Right? Right? That is not the way you learned Christ. None of us came to Christ because of our sin. None of us were sinning, sinning, sinning. Oh, I should come to Jesus. He's like, that's not how you learned Christ. In fact, that word learned is the same word Jesus used. It's a salvation word when he says, take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn from me. Be awakened, be saved, come to salvation because my Burden is easy and my yoke is light. He said, that's not how you learned Christ. You didn't learn through your sin. You didn't learn through practicing more and more sin because of the ignorance. You learned Christ because God opened your eyes when you were dead. He said, don't stay that way. Then he just makes this little caveat when he says, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And so here, now he's going to give some application. Put off your old manner of life. Put off your old self, your former manner of life, which is corrupt and through deceitful desire. Jared, could I tell that story? We were talking about this on Thursday and he just started laughing clothes that you you sometimes have to take off and his brother had gone into a porta potty one day 
and the porta potty ended up pushed over somehow. I don't know how it was. Maybe he could clarify that later in a different message. Jeff was not very happy. Because Jeff had everything that was in the porta potty on him now. Right? What do you do with that? You take it off, right? You gotta get that stuff off you right away. That blue stuff and all the other stuff that's in the blue stuff that comes out of the porta potty. Yet some of us want to walk around in filthy, stinky, ungodly grave clothes all the time. Paul says it should not be so, Christian. Put off your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new self. All in favor of that? Come on, church. All in favor of putting on a new self? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. New life equals new purpose. So today we want to attack our number one enemy. Our communication. And that's where our text goes. Attacking our mouth. Five admonitions for new purposeful, God-honoring communication in your family. Right? Write that down. I'm going to give you five purposeful, God-honoring admonitions to help you better communicate in the family unit. Teenagers. How you communicate with one another. How you communicate with your parents. How you communicate outside of your home. Husbands. How you talk to your wife. How you talk to your children. How you talk to your dog. Wives. How you talk to your children. How you talk to your husband. How you talk to others. Our hub today is be purposeful in our communication with one another. Be purposeful in our communication with one another. Because it leads to love. Right? Right? Verse 15 of chapter 4 says this. He says, rather speak the truth in love. And later on in the text, talks about unity. Speaking the truth that brings us to unity. So with that, let's get right into it. I've got five. I don't want to linger too long on this. All, all ready to change your talking and communication? If you so, say amen. All right, here we go. Number one, be purposeful. Listen, if you want to write 5A, 5B, or 1 through 5 and just write be purposeful first, just to help you, that's how it's going to start. Be purposeful. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Well, where'd you get that, Nate? Well, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Well, I do speak the truth with my neighbor. But do you start at home? Do you start with your wife, men? Do you start with your husbands, ladies? A lie is a statement that is not factual. It is a statement that is not factual, that is intended to deceive others. 
Think about it. We know lies. We've heard lies. We've seen lies. Lies are a statement that is not factual, that is intended to deceive others. The origin of lying began at the Garden of Eden with who? Satan. He's the father of lies. Did God really say, you won't really die? He already knew the truth to that. His lie led to death that was imputed to everyone. But I got to thinking, what are reasons we lie? We lie because the the truth is embarrassing. Sometimes the truth is embarrassing. A mother would say to a child, did you do that? (laughs) I'm not going to really tell her the truth. I'm going to say no. No. Because we'd be embarrassed. Think of a dating relationship. If we were caught in a lie. When I was a freshman in college, there was a I was in a long relationship with a, a young lady um, that turned into a long-distance relationship that ended up me not having a relationship at all. And so there was another individual that I was um, interested in, and we were sitting there in um, what was chapel at the time, and I was, the, the music was playing, and I was acting like I was playing the piano. And, and so a couple weeks later, this young lady was like, we were walking through the music part of, of Liberty University, and this young lady's like, why don't you play me a song? And I'm like, uh, I don't play piano. Caught in a lie, totally embarrassed. Why do we lie? Because the truth is embarrassing. Because the truth is agonizing. Sometimes we lie because it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt someone if it comes out. Because the truth is demoralizing. Because if I tell the truth, I'm going to lose hope. I'm going to lose spirit. I'm going to break the bonds of love. It's going to happen. Realizing, not realizing, excuse me, that if it does happen, that they find out the truth, you might lose all of those things anyways. And we lie because the truth can be damaging. We don't want to ruin a relationship. We don't, we don't want to cast a relationship aside by just telling the truth, but, but the truth is we must be truth speakers. Regardless, he's like, put away falsehood and speak the truth. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let me ask you a question. Everybody look up here, all across the room. Pay attention if you're watching online. How are you struggling to tell the truth? What are you you hiding from a spouse or a parent? And they ask you, hey, what's wrong? Nothing. Speak the truth for unity's sake with one another. In love. Put away falsehood. How are you... How are you embellishing something that shouldn't be embellished at all and causing disunity amongst the brothers and the sisters in Christ? Put away all falsehood. A Christian 
has a new life and new communication. Be purposeful. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Secondly, be purposeful. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. Anger is the emotional state caused by something that displeases us. Now, can we be honest? Has anybody here ever been angry? Right, right. Just a few of you haven't. Well, I wish I, I, wish I had that ability, but my heart is an angry heart. He's an angry elf. That's what you're thinking. I know that, right? And we're to be, it's not that we're not supposed to be angry, but we're not supposed to be angry and sin. And, and there's, a, there's a little bit of a, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, the key word is a four-letter word, and it's called self. Where self is projected in my anger. I think it's appropriate, and I, I believe others would agree with me, that we are to hate evil. We are to abhor injustice. We are to be frustrated and, and angry. My son called me this two weeks ago. And he called me on my birthday. And um, we were talking about his, his uh, psychology professor. And, and, the, and the professor was just like talking about how he didn't want to use the Bible to do any kind of counseling. Now, do you, um, uh, do you think that I, as a parent... I uh, got a little frustrated with that. Maybe even a tad bit angry. Yeah. Because the, the Bible is God's word and it's what changes us. Proverbs, or Psalms 19, that even the simpleton becomes wise. And we had a long discussion and he was enjoying it. I was enjoying our conversation together. But there was a, there was a holy, righteous anger within me that you're going to exclude the word of God and think you're going to change somebody's life? It's not so. I was fired up. But I wasn't fired up to a way that I was selfish about it or self-defensive or resentful about it. MacArthur said that anger that is selfish, undisciplined, and vindictive is sinful and has no place in the Christian. Anger that is selfish, undisciplined, and vindictive he says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let your anger become selfish anger or undisciplined anger or vindictive anger. And I understand anger. And sometimes I get into the rabbit hole, smoldering. Outwardly in anger, we boil over and inwardly we smolder. Anybody with me? And sometimes when it comes out of our mouth, we injure. And, and you know what happens when we... When we Communicate anger in that way. You can't take it back. And over the nine years of this church, there's some things I wish I could take back. There's apologies that I've had to make, but yet unity lost. And we must be careful with our anger.
Nothing hurts the unity like words spoken in anger. It must not be named among us. That's going to be hard, Nate. I, listen, I'm battling that right with you, okay? Speak the truth, don't lie. Be angry, don't sin. Work it out. But here's number three. Be purposeful. Work hard. Don't steal. Work hard. Don't steal. And this may seem a bit out of place, but let's follow in the text. Verse 28, Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. So, Pastor, I thought we were talking about speech. No. We're talking about communication. And, while it may seem out of place, remember the axiom, actions speak louder than words? Paul's addressing that here. Because in the church of Ephesus, like in many of the churches that would read this letter, there were certain kind of people that needed to hear this word that were coming to the church for free handouts, but weren't helping at all. Or slaves whose, whose life was practically stealing so that they could survive. Paul's saying, don't steal. Rather, work hard so that you can have something to give. Believers were robbing God as well. I've managed all kinds of restaurants and all kinds of people and all different um, ways and uh, forms. When I was, uh, before I was a youth pastor and now a pastor, I, I managed in all different kinds of places. And one of the uh, most famous stories that came out of uh, working in this one specific restaurant was one of my assistant managers uh, came back and uh, shared something with me that ended up in... Um, these two cooks being fired. And here was the situation. They worked for us, and um, they, they were stealing from us. And, and we, we didn't know who was doing it, but, but this assistant manager, his name was Rob, he got invited to a party at these two cooks' apartment where they served our food. And they wondered why they got fired the next day. They were stealing, but not working hard. In the church of Jesus Christ, we are not to steal. God's way is, is for us to be supporting one another. God's way is not for us to have like a money tree out back that happens to bloom every month so that, that we meet the needs of other people. God's work, word is very clear on this, that we are to be giving to the church so that the church can give to others. God endorses personal property when he says, thou shalt not steal. But God also endorses hard work with a purpose. Sometimes it's not just monetarily that we rob. 
Sometimes we rob in our communication with one another. Sometimes we rob in our actions with one another. And we must be careful that our actions speak louder than our words. Be purposeful. purposeful. Speak the truth, don't lie. Be purposeful. Be angry, don't sin. And this one, be purposeful, work hard, and don't steal. Two to go. Be purposeful. Hear me now. Build up. Don't tear down. Build up. Don't tear down. Notice verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting. Corrupting. The word corrupting is uh, where they get the word for rotten fruit, for something that is worthless. Right? So are your words rotten fruit to the hearer? Are they worthless to the hearer? Who wants to eat rotten fruit, right? Who enjoys that? He says, don't let your talk that comes out of your mouth be worthless, be rotten fruit. Well, I need you to be specific. All right, write these three words down. You are, and then put a blank. What would you say there? You are fat. You're short. You're tall. No one's ever said that to me. You're ugly. You're dog water. Insert racial slur. Insert bad joke. Sexual connotation. Not to be named among the followers of Jesus Christ. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I mean, I wish it could be like some way around this. I wish I could have a different way of saying this, but it's pretty clear no corrupting talk is to come out of our mouth. Well, what's supposed to come out? Well, I'm glad you asked because the text gives us three things. Only what's good for building up. Notice it there. But only what's good for building up. Only as fits the occasion. Only that gives grace to the hearer. That's the key word, grace, right? What builds up? What can you say in this moment that's going to build up the individual that fits the occasion? Like going to your son after a wrestling match that he just lost and talk about how great he is on football is not like, doesn't fit the occasion. And gives grace one thing that is lost in our society today, lost amongst many of our teens and young adults as we grow up, is that word grace. People's words these days are so harsh. And they think that maybe if I just say, I'm just saying after it, or, I mean, if I could be truthful, 
Like, that's going to give them carte blanche to say whatever they want. But does it give grace to the person who's hearing it? Or are you speaking corrupting talk? Is it building up? My father would tell a story of when we were younger, uh, an individual um, an individual, he used to call us the Davis Destruction Team. I don't know if you remember that mom or not, but we had this brood that would come flying through your church and pretty much wreck it on a weekly occasion. And dad would just, you know, call us that until the lady stopped him and said, maybe you shouldn't say such harsh things. And he came up with a different name for us. Or calling one of your children the black sheep in the family. My parents never did that, but my sister sure did. Not saying who, but um, those things stick with you. Those things hurt. You can't take them back. Our communication with one another must be building up, not tearing down. Here's one thing to do. Attack the problem and not the person. You're having an issue? What's the problem? Don't go to the person. What's the problem? You're late. Okay, attack that. Why are you late? You're annoying. Well, you're kind of going after the person there. What maybe is the problem? Maybe the problem is you and you just didn't get a good night's sleep or enough Red Bull. I don't know. But you want to have better communication in your families? Don't go after the individual. Go after the problem. And if that doesn't work, that's why we have biblical soul care here at the church. That's why Pastor Jer is with us. That's why I, we, we love to counsel folks. Because we see the word of God doing work. We have, we have something in our biblical soul care called the shh box. So if you're actually sitting there as husband and wife or engaged to be married, I might, one of you wants to speak up, I might give you the shh box where I just look at it and say, open it up, what's it say? Shh. Because sometimes, well, this happened once with a, a, a couple, and one of the spouses was just ready to tell everything that was wrong with the other individual. And I was like, just, you, need to, you need to look at that. She's like, Shh, oh. Futile, unholy communication. Here's the reason we do this. Grieves the Holy Spirit. The reason that we build up and don't tear down. The reason that we work hard and don't steal. The reason that we tell the truth and don't lie. The reason that we, we are angry but don't sin. In all of our communication, because in context, this is talking about our communication with one another. He's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. And in context, we're grieving God's Holy Spirit by what we're saying. He can't leave us. He can't forsake us. So when we're lying, he sees us lying. When we're angry and sinning, he sees that. When we're tearing down with corrupting talk, foolish talk, 
right there. Be purposeful, build up, and don't tear down. Then lastly, be purposeful, act, don't react. Act, don't react. This is the nitty-gritty of the whole shebang here. Because often we react. Can we be honest? Often we react. We don't act. And so Paul gives us six ways that we react that we're not supposed to do. Everything has to change in our communication with one another. And if it doesn't, then then our reactions begin to show. Notice first, in the text, verse 31, it says that all bitterness has to go away. What does it say? It says, let all bitterness be put away from you. Well, you left some out there. We're going to get to those. Let all bitterness be put away from you. Bitterness is smoldering resentment. When we react in smoldering resentment, it's, 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 it's a downward spiral that's starting here. And it begins with bitterness. We're frustrated. We begin to smolder. It's, it's just sitting there. It's, it's, I'm not talking about it because if, if I'm lying about it if she asks me about it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It begins to smolder in us. And then we begin to resent that individual for it. And that leads to the next reaction. Wrath. Flaring Outbursts of rage. It's the loud yell. It's the curse word. It's the frustrated pounding of the wall. It's the kick in the door on the way out. It's the, I never want to see you again. We react. That leads to anger. Sinful anger. Settled indignation that seeks revenge. Now you begin to plot. Listen, I've been there. I think some of you have been there. If I see that individual, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to Get the revenge that's due me. I am going to scorch the earth until they pay. All because we reacted versus acting. Bitterness, wrath, anger, the filthy six here. To clamor. It's not a word we use a lot these days. But we do use the word quarreling. We do use the word contention. Harsh contention, quarreling with one another. This is like usually the end of the friendship, right? 
This is the yelling back and forth. None of this promotes unity. The whole first part of this chapter is all about the unity of the faith. None of this promotes unity. And all of this reaction is just driving a wedge between fellow believers or family members. And it is, it's, it's killing the church. It's killing your family. That leads to slander. Speech that injures. Speech that causes defamation. There's a, there's a rule in the restaurant business that one bad customer tells, do you know, 10 other people tells. <laughs> now, with, now with Facebook and how many friends they have, that could be like thousands, right? But that's very true in relationships. When you are done, done with somebody, don't we fry them over the airwaves of instant messenger, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, speech that injures and causes defamation? You can never get it back. And you're trying to influence to get on your side, right? And in that moment, you're trying everything you do. I need you to be on my side. You can't be on his team. And I've seen this go through in divorce. Everything that I don't like about him, I need you not to like about him. And I'm telling you why you don't need to like him or her. That leads to the worst reaction of all, malice. It's a desire to cause pain and suffering. Murder would probably be the next step in this, right? But at this point, if you see them at the Walmart, I don't care who sees me. I'm going to go right up to them and slap them in the face. Let me ask you something, church. Do you have somebody in your life right now that you can plug into any one of these categories? Bitterness, wrath, anger. Let alone you gave me PTSD when you said going to Walmart and if I saw that individual there, I don't know what I would do. It is not to be named among you. Rather, we, t we are to act. We are to communicate in this way. Here's what we are to communicate. We're, not only does it tell us to build up, not only does it tell us to give grace words, not only does it tell us to, to give words that fit the occasion, but look at verse 32. It says that we are to be kind to one another. Our communication is to be purposeful. It is to be kind. Um, Nate, are you saying that to my enemy, I am to be kind? 
I wish I were that smart. I'm not saying that. God is saying that. Wasn't it Jesus who says, love your enemies? To be benevolent and helpful. That's what that word means, be kind. But not only that, he says, be tenderhearted. Be, that's not a word we, we use a lot. Be sympathetic, right? One of the things sometimes that I have to remind some of my children is, what is it like to walk in their shoes? It's taken me 50 plus years to figure that out, right? But sometimes you have to look at what the individual might be going through or what situation that they grew up in and how can I be sympathetic in helping them walk through whatever's bothering them? Yes, they may be a problem to you, but how can you be helpful? How can you be sympathetic or tenderhearted towards them? And the third area that we act is to forgive one another. Forgive one another. In small group this week, uh, we learned a lot about giving up our rights to be right. That's what forgiveness is. You giving up your right to be right. You can be right in how you might say something, but you can be incredibly wrong in how you say it. In fact, it was James McDonald who, who tweeted... If you are wrong in the way that you are right, you are wrong even if you are right. This came out in small group this week. This was a lot to, to process for me. I've been processing it for a while. Up with your rights. Down with your relationships. Up with your rights. My right, my this, my that. Down with your joy. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Write that down. Maybe keep that in your wallet. Maybe post that on your refrigerator. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. You want enduring relationships? You want to? Get some friends back. Down with your rights. Even if you're right. Forgive. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Many small ones. Listen, in relationship of any... Nine years here. In relationship through these nine years, there's many small forgivenesses. Many, many small forgivenesses. A few majors to forgivenesses. And you have that in any marriage. And you have that as a, as a son to a father, as a daughter with a mother. Why do I do any of this? These, these six words. As God in Christ forgave you. What if God was up with his rights and down with yours, right? Did he have every right to put you in, into a Christless hell? Yes. Did he have every right to condemn you for all of eternity? Yes. But yet he 
forgave you. It's one of our five key words, right? That I owed a debt that I couldn't pay, yet somehow God paid that debt. And not only did he pay that debt, he was sympathetic towards me because I was without a family, so he adopted me. Not only that, he reconciled me. He was kind in redeeming me. Because you have a new life, you have a new outlook. Because you have a new commu- uh, life, you have new communication. And it needs to be void of tearing down statements. And it needs to be void of reactive statements. Your communication, look up here. The worship team is getting to come right now. But your communication has to be grace-filled. In everything. You can't walk around trying to be like Jesus still holding on to those old grave clothes. If you want your family to change, if you want your relationships to change, it begins right here. Point to yourself. It begins here, right? It begins with you. Put off the communication, the communication of a spiritual zombie wrapped in spiritually dead grave clothes and put on purposeful, graceful, life-giving, life-altering communication that says over and over and over again, no matter what happens, I love you. I love you. I love you. One of the worst moments of, of my many, many disciplinary moments was a word that my father would say, but I think I understand it a lot now, being older, and that was, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. Because he cared about me, and he loved me. And he wanted me to put off the old Nate and put on the new Nate and walk in newness of life. Because I care about you. Because I'm here to encourage you. Because I care and love you. I want you to do the same. 2021, new life new outlook, new communication. Use words that are grace-filled. I want you to hear from me that you are not a burden to my wife and I, ever. That you are not a side thought, but that we love you. Husbands, this would be a great day to start talking to your spouse in grace terms. Wives, this is a good opportunity to build up your husband because he's an emotional wreck sometimes. Young people, 
This is a good opportunity to start to build up your siblings and not tear them down. This is an opportunity to be someone in this world who all of a sudden uses grace speak instead of hate speak. Let the world know that nothing is more important than Jesus because your actions speak louder than your words. And let's begin with our number one enemy, our mouth, in how we communicate with one another. Let there be unity amongst us in this, that Jesus is Lord, and he has given us a new outlook, and because of that, he has given us a new communication. Next week, we're going to really tackle the big thing, a new walk. Now listen, if you're here today without Jesus, or if you're following along without Jesus, uh, you're spiritually dead. I don't mean that in a negative way. I only tell you that because I love you, and the Word of God says that you are spiritually dead. But the grace of God can give you eternal life. And if you know that He is calling you to the salvation in Jesus Christ, then, then why not answer that call? Why not cry out to God who loves you and ask Him to forgive you of your sins? Get that new outlook that we're talking about. Why not repent? of your sins and turn to him who at the start of all of this loved you and sought you and came after you. Today can be your day of celebration of new life, new outlook, and begin a journey of new communication. I'm going to pray and encourage you to pray with me, all of you, as we go to prayer I just encourage you in your walk right now, in your communication with one another, is it where you believe the Lord would be happy? Or do you have some ways that you can improve? I, I, I know I was convicted this week about ways that I can improve. I hope that you will take this and say, you know what, I mean, it's Valentine's Day, it's a good day to really kind of discuss this and Think about it and repent of things that I, I sent Jer this meme. It says, roses are red, violets are blue. Repent, right? Maybe today's the day. And you start that road, that process of, of embracing communication that is God-honoring, Christ-exalting. I hope and pray that you will. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for we thank you for the word that you have given us today, but how we are to communicate with one another. We enter this time in all different um, stages of life. We, we enter it um, as young adults, we enter it as teenagers, as young children, we enter it as older adults and seniors. Yet we know that we can always be better growing more like Christ in how we communicate with one another. And so we ask that as you are revealing things that we need to work on, Lord, that you would be taking those things and convicting us and allowing us to grow through them and sanctifying us from them and encouraging us as you always do through your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we don't want to grieve your Holy Spirit. 
and so help our communication with one another to be honoring and graceful and loving and joy-filled. Help us to do what Paul admonished us there at the end. Help this to be our action this week, that we are tender-hearted, that we are forgiving one another just as you in Christ forgave us. Help us to be kind. And I know that means we have to set aside our own personal rights to do that, but you did that. Lord, if there's anyone here that realizes by your spirit as their eyes have been opened as we've been praying, their, their ears hear that, that they were dead in their sins, spiritually unable to come to you, and they want to come to you, would you give them faith in this moment as your word says you will? To pray? To confess their sin? Turn to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We know your word is faithful, and it says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that, that you raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. And all of us are to call on your name for that salvation. So would they do that now, Father? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.